O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 107, the first 32 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Friday, October the 1st, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are uh, continuing our look at the book of Hosea. Today we're in chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. In Luke's gospel, we are in uh, chapter 6, verses 12 to 26, and in uh, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 21, verse 37 through 22:16. So lots and lots of ground to cover today. I, some days I look at these lessons and think, who in the world put these things together that we're reading so much in this day and not so much in the other day? Most of this we can cover pretty quickly, I think, um, but, but it's probably going to be you know, a 22-minute podcast today. Anyway, it begins with Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. So that why is it a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit? Because God made it so. He created it. He, he, he made the land flowing with milk and honey, promised abundance in the land, and, and then made it happen. And so they, they had this enormous jump start on every other agricultural producer because they had God on their side. So it, it, God's making a, a definitive statement. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. And then that, that's a standalone statement. And then after that, the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his countries improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. So what is the charge being brought here? And, and there's only one place, one place to worship the Lord. So why do they need more altars and more pillars? And the answer is because they're chasing after other gods. Those are places where they're going to worship gods other than Yahweh. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words with empty oaths. They make covenants. With whom? Well, they made an empty oaths with the Lord. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the fields. The inhabitants of Samaria, which is another way of referring to the northern kingdom of Israel, the one that's, that's the lost tribes. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of beth Aven. Now what is that? So after the, the, the split in the two kingdoms, but after the death of Solomon, the king up in the north realized, I can't let everybody go down to Jerusalem to continue to worship because I'm going to lose control if I do that. So what did he do? He did exactly the same thing Aaron did. He made golden calves and said, here, Israel, are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. He used the same words. He made the same gods, everything. So that's the calf of Beth of In. <clears throat> the inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth of In. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoiced over it and its glory, for it's departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as a tribute to the great king. So that's exactly what ultimately happens to the northern kingdom. They get assimilated into Assyria's kingdom, and they, they're, they're taken out of the land. They're, the policy of Assyria was to resettle people, to get them out of their own places and out of their own land and move them and, and, and sort of um, 
redistribute them <laughs> among the kingdom, but they've got to get out of their land, and they're going to move other people in theirs who have no connection to the land in the same way that the Israelites that they relocate have no connection with the land to which they're being relocated. <clears throat> so it's, it's to destroy their connection with the land and therefore their connection with their God because the belief was that, that God served over territories, and there's a truth in that. Because of Deuteronomy 32, when God apportioned the lands to various, um, uh, let's see, heavenly beings, I guess is probably the easiest way to say it. And so these, they, they rejoiced over this thing, but it's going to be carried into Assyria and as a tribute to the great king of Assyria. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. So Ephraim is another word for, it's, it's one of the tribes. So Ephraim becomes one of the other words for the northern kingdom. So it can be known variously as Israel, Samaria, or Ephraim. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avin, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Avin was the place where the calf was. And it was right on the border of Judah, well, it's on the border of Benjamin in the northern kingdom. So Judah and Benjamin are the two, king, two, uh, the two tribes that hung together in the south and continued to worship at Jerusalem. And all the other tribes went up to worship in other places. So Avin is right on the border between the two. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, well, you get bonus points for the day because it, it should sound familiar. Um, when Jesus announces judgment is coming in Luke 22, which we'll get to eventually in the next few weeks, uh, when he announces judgment is coming, to Jerusalem, this is exactly the language that he uses. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. So Jesus quotes Hosea there in Luke twenty-two thirty to talk about the judgment that is coming upon the nation, the entire nation, whatever it consists of at that time. Because there's no northern kingdom, there's really not a southern kingdom, although they still had an opportunity to worship in Jerusalem until eighty seventy. So the, the, Jesus is saying it's going to be like in those days. From the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel. This is after the split. There they have continued. <clears throat> Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them, and nations will be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. So they, ha they, have, they have multiplied iniquity. Uh, and sin by forsaking the Lord, not giving the land its um, its um, Sabbaths, and, and all the other things that they have done. But they have compromised the covenant by walking away from it and making covenants for protection with other nations when the Lord was intended to be their protector. But they separated from their brothers, and then they separated themselves from Yahweh. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck at one time. This was true. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. So what they've done is forsaking Yahweh for the Baals, and what is the, what did I say the, the purpose of the Baals was? It was to provide rain. And so here what he's saying is it's time to seek the Lord, for he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity and you have reaped injustice. 
you have eaten the fruit of lies, because you've trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors, and they're supposed to trust in the Lord's way and his protection. Therefore, the tumult of war shall rise among your people, and all your fortresses will be destroyed. As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, which is the house of God, because of your great evil. At dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. So God's announcing his ultimate judgment against the people of the northern kingdom, against Israel. And, and then there will be left only Judah and Benjamin worshiping down in the south. <clears throat> in the epistle today, Jesus, or not the epistle, sorry, the, the gospel today um, in Luke, Jesus, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. And so what we have to believe is, is this persevering in prayer through the night was in order that he might winnow the field of potential disciples down to the twelve that he ultimately chooses, so that the, that, that the Father is telling him, these are the ones. So these are the ones, Simon, whom he called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. So what we've got is he's, he's gathered... All these people are there at the foot of the mountain, and Jesus calls 12 up to himself. And so you can see sort of this repetition of Sinai in so many ways that he's gone up on the mountain, separated himself from the people, been alone with the Lord, and now comes down and chooses the 12 and calls them to himself and then comes down with them to this level place, and a great crowd of disciples are there. So these people who have been following Jesus, who he did not choose to become his close disciples, they're still being discipled in the sense that they're, they're benefiting from his teaching, if, but they're, they're sort of hangers-on in some ways, and he's pouring himself into the Twelve, but then the, he always has space and time for these others in the same time but then it says a great multitude of people from all judea which is the area surrounding jerusalem it's the territory of judah and jerusalem itself and also then the seacoast of tyre and sidon we have to believe these are jewish people who are living up in these phoenician areas this is where jezebel was where um elijah went and and was with the widow it was in sidon and so these are, these are places that are outside the land, but they're, they're adjacent to the land, just north, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So remember the woman with the issue of blood who comes up and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and is healed because the power is coming out from him to provide healing. And at this point, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and we have to believe these are all the disciples who are there, and says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets." 
So if you want to know what it looks like to stand with Jesus, read the prophets and find out about their lives, find out about Jeremiah being thrown in a cistern, being tried and, and, and almost uh, killed, hear about Ezekiel's life, hear about uh, um, Isaiah's life. And, and so what you'll see is, is that the prophets are not treated well. And Jesus says it again and again. Uh, when he pronounces woes over Jerusalem for the way that they treated the prophets in the past. They refused to listen to him. And Isaiah and Ezekiel are both told, I'm sending you to a people who will not hear you. They will not receive the words of judgment that I give you. Hosea has to do the same thing. He has to do it not only in words, but also in deed. He has to marry a woman who is a typical Israelite, who is an unfaithful wife. And so that that's the 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 teaching that Jesus has is, is is if you understand the world, if you if you have all the world's riches and all the world's goods, and you're rejoicing and laughing and 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 enjoying all the the fruits of the this message is not really for you. It is for you, but but it's not in the way you think. And so how we get from this: blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed for those who weep, blessed are those who are hated, excluded, and reviled. To the health and wealth prosperity gospel, I have no earthly idea. It's impossible. <laughs> to read the words of Jesus and come to this conclusion that, yep, we can have it all in this life and, and enjoy it all in this life and then have heaven thrown into the bargain. And that's exactly the opposite of what C.S. Lewis says, is that if you aim it at heaven, then you get earth thrown into the bargain. But if you aim at earth, then you end up with neither heaven nor earth. And so when Jesus says this, he, he's saying, you know, it may be difficult for you right now, but as long as you keep your eyes fixed on the kingdom, if, as long as you keep the, your eyes fixed on what is to come and set your heart on that, then, then you'll be satisfied. This message is for you. It's, it's consolation. It's a message of consolation for you. For you may not have it in this life, but you'll have it throughout all eternity. But then he gives the obverse of that. But woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. It's a powerful word of correction, and it, it fits perfectly in line with Mary's song which we know as the Magnificat, which talks about the reversal of all things, that, that her son Jesus is coming in order to bring that reversal about. And so here we see that same thing in, in her son's words, that if you, if you have it tough now, keep your eyes fixed on the kingdom for, for eternally, you will have this issue resolved. It, it, but if you're, if you're setting your sights on only the things of this world, then you're going to be in a bad place at the time of judgment. In the, uh, and that's the problem in the Hosea lesson, is that they're looking for the, the yield to increase in the land. They become greedy for the things of earth, and when they became greedy for things of earth, they sought out other gods who promised to provide greater things than these. God, Yahweh, uh, gets tossed to the side because what we're really looking for is increase. We're really, really focused on earthly increase. In the epistle lesson today from Acts, 
Paul, remember, had been arrested because he was he was charged with a couple of things, which is one of which is to tell people to um, neglect or to set aside the law of Moses and the customs. And then also he was accused of bringing Greeks into the temple and profaning the temple in spite of the fact that he didn't do that. So he was as he was and he had been the 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 riot essentially broke out. They beat Paul. The Tribune, which is a Roman soldier, and the cohort came and and arrested Paul and took him into protective custody. Essentially, they said we can't get a we can't figure out what's going on as long as we're out here in the open and, and these people are yelling this that and the other thing. So let's take him into protective custody and take him into the barracks. So as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the Tribune, "May I say something to you?" And the Tribune said. Do you know Greek? Are you not an Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a city, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given his permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, He addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And why does he address only brothers and fathers? Well, it's because only men could vote. It was because only the the men could ultimately make the decision here. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. I mean, so we go from a great hush after Paul motioned with his hand to now they become even more quiet. And he said, and now he's going to give his testimony. I was a Jew, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. So there were two great rabbinic schools at the time. One was Gamaliel, and the other was Hillel. And so they, they would have disagreements with one another, the students of Hillel and the students of Gamaliel. And, and largely, what Paul's saying here is, is that I chose the stricter school, not, it wouldn't be fair to say that the others were liberal, but it, but it was certainly the Pharisaical school of strict interpretation and keeping of the law. He said, I was zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. He said, these guys over here, they know exactly what I did. They're the ones who gave me letters to go and make this happen and persecute this way, this this Christian thing that's out here. He said, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were also there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He said, I was so zealous for the law, I was so zealous for Yahweh, like y'all are, I I was even more so. I, I didn't just stay here in Jerusalem and persecute them, I went after them. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And all this is in in, um, Acts 9. And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So they saw, but they didn't hear with their ears what was being said. And, and who would have been with Paul, his companions, would have been those who were also zealous, who also wanted to persecute these people. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that's appointed for you to do. And since I couldn't see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. I'm curious 
for the first time in my life, actually. I'm curious about what happened to those people who were with him, those companions who were there to help him in the persecution of the church, who saw the light but didn't understand the words, who took him now into Damascus. I'm curious what became of those people. I wonder, did they become believers? So, and one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, so he's saying this, this guy's a Jew, and he was a devout man according to our law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there. He, he's given your, the bona fides of Ananias. He came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight, and I saw him, him Ananias. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know this know his will, to see the righteous one and hear a voice from his mouth, for you'll be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So what he said was, essentially, what, what, what Jesus said to Paul was more or less what he said to the Samaritan woman at the well. You worship, you know not what. So you are heart, you are completely mistaken about what you believe, Paul. The, the things that you believe are wrong, and I'm here to help you and set you straight. And he did so in exactly the same way he did with the woman at the well, but by telling him in love what you believe is wrong. And it's important that you know what you believe is wrong and that you change and you turn away from that and begin to follow me. It's a powerful corrective, but, but I believe that it's partially at least because of Paul's true zealotry. I think it's partially at least because Paul genuinely believed why he was doing this. But what he genuinely believed was wrong. There are a lot of people out there in the world today that be- genuinely believe all kinds of things and they're genuinely wrong about those things. And it's not kind, and it's not loving to allow them to persist in wrong belief. Because ultimately, that wrong belief won't save you. It will put you in a wrong direction, going further and further from the truth, the further you go. And it's important that we, that we correct that, that we not allow those people to pursue untruth to their own death. Judgment is real, and what we believe matters more than everything else if we want to have eternal life, just as Jesus said.